Hello, today is November 10th, 2023, and welcome to episode 274 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm Jessica Jones, NSI's Deputy Executive Director, and if you're watching, we have a very special all-in-office whole crew today. So we've got Les Munson, Senior Fellow, Jamil Jaffer, Executive Director, Morgan Vigna, another Senior Fellow, and extra special guest, John Lipsy, NSI's Director of Policy and all-time fave, um, all here. So today, we've got a few things happening. I couldn't help but mention, because it was a big thing in the office, the pandas went home from the National Zoo yesterday. They were taken back to China. Stolen. Stolen. Uh, brought on FedEx trucks and then on FedEx U.S. company planes back to China. Where's PETA when you need it, Jones? <laughs> It was traumatic. There's a lot of opinions in the office, um, but we're not. Global oh. repression. Panda <laughs> Hashtag repressed. bring them home. It, you know, panda diplomacy is one thing we're going to be discussing today. We should send them back all the ping pong tables, too. Ouch. That's a lot of ping pong tables. we got to put something on those boats going back to China. All right. And then our second topic, also somewhat China related, is that the uh, development. Speaking of boats going to oh, China. I didn't even think of that. Let's see. Uh, the U.S. Development Finance, Development Finance Corporation, uh, better known as the DFC, announced on Wednesday that it is lending half a billion dollars to Sri Lanka to help the country build a deep water shipping container terminal. As part of our efforts to expand uh, our efforts uh, to build infrastructure abroad and around strategic parts of Asia. Uh, for those of you that haven't taken geography in a while, that includes myself. If you're wondering why Sri Lanka is so important, the country sits between the, uh, the Strait of Malacca. 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 Also hot topics. Close enough. Close enough. And the Suez Canal, which Jamil Jaffer hates that fact, well, while true. They're 5,000 miles apart. I mean, it's crazy. Yes, it does sit between this thing over here. I mean, you know, it's a one-fifth of the world apart, but whatever. It does Close be. Uh, we'll explain global trade to you. Trading vessels pass through this area, so it is quite important. Um, they also pass by India and a million other countries on their way between we'll Straits of Malacca. For everyone who wants to see it later. Check it out. Um, this loan represents the kind of big ticket deals found in China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is a topic we cover a lot here on the show. In fact, China has actually helped out Sri Lanka as well. They helped build a port on a relatively remote southern shore. But actually now the port belongs back to China under 99-year lease and along with 15,000 miles around the port. Like Gitmo, by the way, 99-year lease. Okay. Topic uh- <laughs> for another day. Yep. So first question, there's a lot of things. If you guys don't know, the DFC was created, brought about under President Trump. So it's kind of a newer, it's a consolidation of a few different efforts, but it's a new, it's a new project. Um, that was just the old OPEC, no? And in FY 2023, it has already committed more than $9 billion to new projects. Okay, so let's let me turn it first to you. We mentioned China. China has helped build a port out in Sri Lanka. What's the difference there between their work and ours? What's going on? So the port in Hambantota in Sri Lanka, which was selected because it's the hometown of the former ruling family of Sri Lanka, was a, was a political maneuver by China, is part of the China's larger Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically its foreign aid program. Their foreign aid program is a disaster on a number of levels. They make bad decisions about where to invest. It's not sustainable. These things are all going to fall off the grid in the next five or 10 years and become irrelevant. We learned a lot of these lessons ourselves in our foreign aid program generations ago. China is just now learning them. We'll see if they can actually change from that. Our decision, the DFC's decision to go to Colombo, which is a more sensible place to do this uh, and do it in a real way, not based on politics, but based on what is going to be you know, sustainable from a business perspective, is a much better approach and is something that I think will pay off for, for a lot longer 
There is a question here in, in our political system on the DFC. Should it be just for development projects? Should it be for U.S. national interests? I think it's got to be both. Frankly, Congress is wrestling with this. It's actually Democrats, to their credit, who want to see it be more strategically advantageous to us. And Republicans, for some reason, are really focused on the development aspects. I think, like, both sides need to show a little flexibility here and get together on it. So the DFC, um, you know, one of its mandates, it's got to return, you know, it's got to make money. To your point, it takes national security foreign policy. Is it able to comp- compete with the Belt and Road Initiative? I mean, which doesn't have these considerations. Is it actually going to be able to compete with China and, and what they're doing? You know, I think the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, China's got, you know, good 10 years on us when it comes <laughs> to, to BRI and, and sort of overseas. I think it's important to know that BRI itself is a domestic manifestation, right? China needs to be strong at home. And in order to do so, they project power abroad. And so I think what we're seeing with a lot of these BRI projects globally is is, is just that, right? And so with with China's investment in, uh, in, in Sri Lanka in particular, you know, look, I mean, it was a $1.26 billion, you know, loan, um, which... They're never going to be able to pay Right. Well, and, and Sri Lanka defaulted on it. Yeah. I mean, they basically coughed up a port to Beijing. And so I, I think this is the, the, the prime example example of debt trap diplomacy. Um, I will also note um, that, you know, Sri Lanka was the first staff DAO that I took when I was with Senate Foreign Relations. You're Um, welcome. Yeah, I know. Thank you for approving (laughs) that, Wes. Um, And so, I mean, I I do think that what we're seeing with the DFC investment in in, in Colombo in particular is is really tremendous progress because when I was there, you know, what, you know, I'm not going to say how many years ago, um, but uh, we focused purely on development and humanitarian assistance. It was food assistance. It was these small USA development projects. And now that we're actually taking a a step further through the DFC, I think is um, sort of demonstrates how far we've come. um, And it, we should continue to sort of take a look at where we can strategically compete against China and other middle income countries or lower income countries, if the case may be. Yeah. And so the DFC has received some criticism, though, that some folks feel that there should be more focus on, you know, um, poorer countries, less resource countries, and a lot of investments are going to middle to high income countries. For example, India got, you know, half a billion dollars in FY23 on energy security supply chains. Um, and so the development part of their mission is being less fulfilled than, say, the national security foreign policy considerations. I mean, is it? What do you guys think? I mean, that's the mission. Let's be let's be clear. The U.S. government's putting money into DFC, Exim Bank, all these other institutions, USAID, to move U.S. national security and foreign policy forward. It is if development happens, that's a great outcome. But just because just because they change the name from the Overseas Private Investment Corporation to the Development Finance Corporation, don't kid yourself. It is about American national security and foreign policy interests, and that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's our tax dollars. We had to use them for for American benefits. If it provides development in other countries, hallelujah, great. But it but and look, that's what it's doing in Sri Lanka, right? It's going to create jobs and opportunities and economic gain for Sri Lanka. That's a win for everybody, right? It is worth noting that you know we are loaning them five hundred million dollars. Not clear they're going to be able to pay that back, just like they couldn't pay the one point two billion back. Right. Um, we're not charging extortive rates like the Chinese were, um, but it's it's that's going to be a challenge. Um, and we are doing a deal with this well-known Indian conglomerate, the Adani Group, which got itself into trouble uh, a while back, very closely associated with Narendra Modi. So, you know, there are questions here as well. This is not free from, you know, all manner of, of questions. What do you think, John? Other questions are, you know, this is going to be this is always going to be messy. Um, the port, the, the sort of more economic port that 
this project is actually supporting. You know, to your point, we're uh, we've been behind China on with this kind of development assistance, and we are here in this port. China is already managing the the port in a big way. They have huge development projects around the area. So, to the extent that this investment is helpful it, uh, to Sri Lanka, it's also going to be helpful uh, to Chinese interests in that port. And so, it's going to be interesting to see how that's actually managed and whether. Mm-hmm. Um, we have conditions on who's going to be managing this port terminal and how it's going to be open to trade and protected from um, other interests. But, um, you know, I, I think the DFC is going to face continue. You know, we're just getting started here in a more robust way. We're doing this in the face of a global um, debt crisis. that's only like starting to compound like we saw a couple you know, a generation ago. Um, and that's going to lead to a lot of these Chinese projects, you know, blowing up. But it's also going to limit and inhibit our ability to go in in a way where we feel like, or we can feel like, this money is being spent soundly. But it absolutely should be done according to our strategic interests. And you know, one of those right now, a, a big one, is um, reducing our dependence on China and rebalancing global supply chains. And we have to support. We have to put some money into these countries where we can you know, develop their capacity to support a global supply chain that's more resilient and more secure and more trusted than the one we're relying on. All right. I'm going to be the Nikki Haley of this debate. I'm not going to use my shoes as a weapon, but I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to tell you what is realistic. What's realistic for DFC is being both a development agency and something that carries out U.S. strategic interests. No, I know, but not, said that. you guys are all weighing in on the strategic side. That's not sustainable in American politics. That won't happen. Congress won't approve that. You need to do both. The reason DFC was an expanded version of OPEC and given a larger mandate and larger budget authority was to do both of those things. So it needs to be active in the poorest of the poor countries. That is that that is a good thing in and of itself. It also needs to do things for U.S. strategic interests. One of the things the administration's got to do, and they need some real leadership on this, is fix the equity scoring issue. That's an OMB problem. Congress needs to be more aggressive on it. I don't understand why that hasn't been fixed so far. It's been bollocksing us up for years. This is a good sign. One other quick point. The Hambantota port being turned over to China was a huge problem for China. That made a lot of other countries in the region skeptical of BRI. It's losing favor in Europe. Latin America needs to wake up. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal today about Uruguay turning towards China and perhaps away from the United States. Look and see what happened in Sri Lanka. It's a huge mistake to embrace Beijing. Well, last question. Should we have given the pandas back? Everybody, let's go. No. 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 Wow. Save no. the pandas. No. And as a matter of fact, we should double down and keep the pandas I, in Atlanta. We were talking about the pandas in Atlanta. They're next, guys. Do you think we're giving them back? I would like to say, you know, where are the citizens who are going to take independent action to save the pandas? We cannot send them to a prison colony in China. They need need to, like, get on something that actually has some practical value. Save the pandas. Where's PETA when you need them? Exactly. 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 With that, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks so much to Alex Toki, Claude Jennings, and the entire NSI, NSI team for their help in producing today's episode and for our special guests and everyone in person. Thanks, guys. Join us again next week on Monday, November 13th for another awesome episode of Fault Lines, the national securities podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security and foreign policy debate shaking up America. Check out this very fun conversation on YouTube. YouTube. And you're going to like what you saw, heard. So please rate and review wherever you see. And subscribe. And subscribe.